0: I want to talk a little bit about, uh, in in regard to communion, but the whole idea of blood in the sacrifice, and what's the association with that, and why. Um, For our day, uh, it's not common for people to butcher an animal. uh, Most of you probably haven't done it, and yet around the world, it's pretty commonplace. And yet, when we start talking about blood net, most impression is just keep it out of the package. I don't want to touch it, you know, and uh, I remember a few years ago, I had a friend call up and say, you ever butchered a chicken? I'm going, yeah, not that complicated. Uh, Could you help? So I went over to his house and and, uh, he had two chickens he wanted butchered and so fine. And I butchered them there in his yard and... uh, I realized, as I got into it, these were family members. they had names and and uh so at the very end, I you know put stuff in a bag and I go to hand it to the wife, and she looks at me like with this horrified and just turns and walks away <laughs> and, and I realize uh yeah i'm I'm not Jack the Ripper, but it's <laughs> pretty close in this moment uh So that's far from us, but that's not necessarily the experience of most of humanity through the ages. And I think in Scripture, it helps in some ways having at least some understanding of that. But what I want to do is just, you know, early on, people recognize the importance of blood in life. And so, you know, when we, we apparently know more now, but it's, Like We know that it brings nutrients and oxygen to the blood, it takes away waste, it controls pH, it it helps all the organs function together, it works with the immune system and helps to fight disease, so there's lots of things connected to it. But that said, uh, there's still, well, why why this imagery and why the importance of it, or is it imagery, you know? so that's kind of what I want to walk through some this morning. Uh, the first mention of an animal being killed is associated with sin, right? I mean, God brought clothing of hides to Adam and Eve, and uh, you know, the hide—it was a for them. It was a morality issue, right? They said we realized we're naked, and so we covered ourselves with leaves and. God provides them some other clothing. It doesn't say that they needed it because they were in a snowy climate like us. But you know, that whole hide is like it, it covered the animal, it covered them. But there was death connected with that first sin is what I, I want to at least grab onto. Death of an animal. Something took the place for them with this clothing. The second mention of of. Blood. Our our second is uh, when Abel brings his sacrifice. Remember, he brought fat portions of the best of his animals, firstborn, and he was being very careful to give God the very best. And how he knew to do that, or how that was worship, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily say that they were eating meat at that point. But he was bringing his very best unto the Lord as a part of worship. So it's tied right from the very beginning. Then in that same fourth chapter, you see Cain slaying Abel and God telling him, Abel's blood's crying out from the earth to me. And it's no longer going to produce fruit for you. You're going to be a wanderer. And so, again, there's that association with life directly connected with blood in this case. The next round that you see in the first altar that's de- you know, specifically built is after Noah gets out of the ark. And he brought extra animals, or the clean animals, along, and it appears that there was preparation for sacrifice when they got done. One of the commentators made this statement. He said, it doesn't say that Noah built a house first. He built an altar. And the new world, so to speak, started out with a worship service unto the Lord. And so in that, there was the death of animals, but it was like a substitution. And in some ways, there's the beginning this understanding that part of the worship unto the Lord, but also sacrifice and taking the place is connected with even the animal sacrifice for sin of the world. So... When we're looking at it and we're recognizing the effect of sin, we're saying it's not just our lives that we affect when we sin, but it has effect even on creation. That's so why when I'm, I'm reading Romans 8 and Paul's talking about all of creation groans and you know, waiting for his redemption, there's, there is something even at a, a world level with all of creation attached to what's going on in this. So, moving on, um, when the children of Israel get out into the wilderness and they are, uh, they are given the law and some rules are laid down, one of the rules that God makes, it says, and for your lifeblood, I will require, or this was, excuse me, at the end of Genesis, uh, the Noah account, God says, I'm going to require an accounting for for death, for people taking blood. But then in, in Leviticus, it says, The life of the flesh is in the blood. I've given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for life. So the, the thing is that they're pouring out this blood and they're saying that, that represents a life. And this is a sacrifice given unto the Lord. This is to pay for our own sin. And so they... they, they do that, and then in Deuteronomy, there's a rehearse uh, a review of things, and he says, be sure that you don't eat the blood, for the blood is the life, and you shall not eat for the life of the flesh. So again, their understanding of this association and tie, it's important to us because as, it, as it, things move on, this life blood becomes more important even to the teaching of what Jesus has. And so I want to walk through just a few more verses and then hit that In Psalm 72, when the declaration is made about God's care for the oppressed, it says their blood is precious in His sight. And so he's saying God sees and He he sees them as precious. Their lifeblood is precious to Him. Ezekiel says, if you don't warn a person about their sin, I'm going to hold you accountable for their blood. In other words you have a responsibility to speak to others when they are walking in, in sin. And he says, You're, they're lifeblood. That's, that's important in, in, in a sense. You carry responsibility for that. Jonah, when the story is told of him, even the, though the sailors weren't godly men per se, or they weren't worshipers of God as we know him, they still say, Please don't hold this man, or hold our blood accountable for this man. You know, the sharing of innocent. So, you know, all of this is going on, and there's an awareness, there's an association here all through centuries tying the idea of blood and sacrifice and atonement, forgiveness of sins. So when we move on and we get to the New Testament, Jesus is at the peak of his popularity, he's just fed the 5,000, and people are wanting to make him king, and he just lays down some things that are odious to them. He he is not interested in, in being the king as they see it, but he says to them very specifically, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. And it would have just sent them nuts. And it did. He lost most of his following after that teaching. So in John 6, you know, when he's, you know, he says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. So he, he is saying there is something here that you need to gather. You know, they have, for their benefit, they have the, the association of centuries of sacrifice, you know, it, used to, it used to bug me, well, why was that even incorporated? I mean, if God wants to talk to people, he can talk to people. Why this whole sacrificial system through centuries? Except in some ways, it set things up so that he would understand the work of God through Jesus Christ when he came to earth. And so in some ways for us, when we review the scripture and we walk through this, we say, oh, I understand how that how in a sense that imagery was set in place for centuries so that I could understand the work of God in this moment. So when we we participate in communion in Jesus, you know, he drew off of the, the, the Passover meal. And again, another thing that went through centuries with this group of people, and he goes to them and he's saying, This new covenant is the cup of my is my blood given out for you. this My body is broken for you. This is the flesh that you're eating. He's turning it into imagery, right? Or he's taking that symbolism a step further. But he's saying, in this meal, we have opportunity to remember what has been practiced for centuries and what's been understood regarding life, that there's a sacrifice that takes place when we sin. There is death that comes as a result of sin. And so something taking our place is necessary. And so when we're walking through this and we're looking at these verses, we're going, okay, I understand what God is doing for me. I understand that He is cleansing me. I understand that He's taking my place. Um, Corinthians has this passage. It says, in regarding the, the, the bread or such, he says, Cleanse out the leaven that you may be a new lump, for you are unleavened for Christ is our Passover lamb. The Passover meal was, was participated in. Immediately following that was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And they would walk through their houses, they would get rid of all yeast, they would clean things out, and they say, this is a fresh start. What a clear imagery for us. When we participate in the sacrifice of Christ and we say, we are getting a clean start in him. There's a fresh start. Jesus made one other thing out of this John 6 passage that I, I failed to mention, but I want to go back to it for just a second. He said, I am the bread of life. And he's, he said, it wasn't Moses that gave you the manna in the wilderness. The manna came in Moses' time. The manna came from the Father. And he's saying, the Son who comes from the Father is the bread of life. And so that's the idea that's gathered together with that. It's interesting, too, that you have Noah starting a new world, and it starts with sacrifice. You have Jesus starting a new covenant, it starts with sacrifice. You have a picture of the new world in Revelation where everybody is gathered around the throne. And what's the picture? You have the Lamb there with God. The Lamb of God is a you know the sacrificial. It's starting a new age again. So again, when we say I'm starting new life in Christ, we're saying I am participant in what Christ has done. I am embracing his work for me. He represents a death that I might live. I'd like to play uh, a Bible project video, partially because they say it a whole lot better than I can. But uh, they also bring in some other things that I thought really valuable. So we'll do that now, if possible.
1: The ...world to be good, for people to live in peace, act with love and justice. But there's a problem. Something compels us humans to constantly wreak havoc and
2: destruction instead, and we call this evil. And from the Bible's point of view, evil ruins things in at least two ways. There's a direct effect of our evil, like when someone steals from another person, they've created injustice. Hmm. And therefore, you know, they owe something to make it right. But there's another indirect effect of evil, because they've also ruined the environment of the relationship, creating a lack of trust, there's emotional damage. It's like vandalism, and they need to make that right, too.
1: Now, many people believe, hey, God is good, he should be the one to just get rid of all the evil in the world.
2: But let's be honest, I mean, the evil that I see everywhere out there, it's the same evil that's inside of me. We have all contributed, and and we keep doing it.
1: So this kind of puts us in a bind. If God's going to rid the world of evil, he'll have to get rid of
2: us. And this is what's so remarkable about the story of the Bible. This God is so good that not only is he going to rid the world of evil, he's going to do it without destroying humanity. So how is
1: he going to do that?
2: Well, early in the story of the Bible, we're introduced to this practice of animal sacrifice which I know it seems weird to us but for the Israelites it was a very powerful symbol of God's justice and of his grace. So remember I'm a contributor to the evil that's in the world. I should be removed but God is allowing this animal's life to be a substitute. It's symbolically dying in my place and the biblical word for this is atonement which means to cover over someone's death. But there is a second part to this ritual. Remember, evil also causes this relational vandalism. And in the Bible, this idea is described as polluting or defiling the land and making it unclean. So the priest would symbolically wash away the vandalism by sprinkling the animal's blood in different parts of the temple. So the animal's blood is cleaning things? Well, remember this is a symbol and it is a symbol that we are not used to. The blood represents life. And the sprinkling of the blood is this representation of how God is cleaning away these indirect consequences of evil in their community. In the Bible, this process is called purification. And so the temple and the land now become a clean space where God and his people can live together in peace. So this ritual makes things right between Israel and God. And more than that, the Israelites experience God's love and His grace through these symbols. And by being forgiven, ideally, this would compel them to become people of love and grace too. Right, that's the ideal, but it wasn't always happening. Right. So the prophet Isaiah, for example, he talks a lot about this. He opens his book by saying that the continual sacrifices of the Israelites had become meaningless. Because they were also allowing great evil in their midst, ignoring the poor and the oppressed. Even the Israelite kings were distorting justice. But Isaiah looked forward to a day when a new king from the line of David would come and deal with evil, but in a surprising way. The king would become a servant, and not just serve, but also suffer and die for the evil committed by his own people. And his life would be offered as a sacrifice.
1: And this is the promise Jesus believed he was fulfilling. He's the
2: King of Israel, suffering and dying on the cross. In fact, Jesus himself used Isaiah's words when he said that he came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And that word ransom refers to a sacrifice of atonement. And so, all over the New Testament, we hear about how Jesus' death was an atoning sacrifice for us. It covered the debt that humans owe God for contributing to all of the evil and death in his world. But the New Testament authors also talk about Jesus' death as providing purification. And so we hear about Jesus' blood as a symbol of his life, having this ability to wash away the vandalism that evil has caused in us and around us, so we can now live at peace with God. So that is the meaning behind Jesus' death. But there is more to the story. Yeah, the New Testament makes this powerful claim that Jesus' death was not final. He rose from the dead. And so he's the sacrifice who broke the power of death and evil, which means that he lives on to offer his life to anyone who will accept it. He is the perfect sacrifice to which all the previous sacrifices were pointing all along. So
1: because of Jesus, the early Christians stopped participating in the ritual of animal sacrifice.
2: But they were given new rituals. There are two that Jesus taught his followers to perform. The first is called baptism. Just as Jesus died, so going into the water becomes this personal connection you now have to his death. And in coming out of the water, you, so to speak, come back to life with Jesus. So baptism is the sacred ritual that joins your story to Jesus' death and his resurrection. The second ritual is called the Lord's Supper which is a reenactment of Jesus' last meal with his disciples. And he used bread and wine to portray his coming death as a sacrifice. And so now followers of Jesus, they take the bread and the cup regularly to remember and to participate in the power of Jesus' death and in his life.
1: So these rituals, they remind us of God's love and encourage us to live a life of love and grace.
2: But they do more than that. They connect us to a new life source, the very power that brought Jesus back from the dead is the same power that can deal with the evil in our own lives and transform us into people who lead lives of love and peace.
0: And trying to think through the significance of what we do this way and the imagery or symbolism that we attach to it, I guess I've spent hours and hours trying to figure out what what's this all about? And you get nuggets here and there. And yet, uh, there's a a certain wonder that says, people have been doing this for centuries. And each time there's brought to them an awareness that uh, our salvation isn't about us just trying to do good, but there's a connection with God himself and his provision for us. And so when we participate, we recognize the whole sending of a son to earth was provision for us to sustain us in a way that we couldn't, to bring cleansing and peace and reconciliation to God in a way that we were unable to do. He had to reach out to us. And so again, as we participate this day, um, we just say, Lord, bring that to mind and if there are things that we're needing forgiveness for, we say, I, I submit this to you and ask for your cleansing. And then we acknowledge that uh, we are free in him to, to be set free of those sins, which is a, a marvelous thing. There are certain times when I feel like I need it more than others, but truthfully, it's every time <laughs> there should be a recognition of it's him that's doing this, and I'm grateful for it. I'll read just two verses out of Luke and then one out of Corinthians. And he took bread when he had given thanks. He broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of that emblem. And likewise the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup is that I've poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. Let's partake of the emblem of his shed blood. It says, for often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Praise to God. We thank you for these truths revealed even through imagery that uh, allow us to embrace your work. Make that alive to each heart here, I pray. Amen. If you are dealing with forgiveness issues, then maybe it would be best to seek someone else out and just have them pray with you. Uh, If you'd like prayer, uh, if you come forward, that's always an opportunity. May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives and they discover with joy what it is to walk that you have provided i ask as each one goes into the community that you'll give them words of life to speak over others enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom gift them with the supernatural be lifted up and exalted our lord we pray we love you this day amen god bless you